last week, we were incredibly blessed to have John share a message with us. That was so nice. It was just a relief for me. It was a great message. Um, he really brought a deep spiritual truth that sometimes it's a little bit hard to accept. And the truth was simply that if we say we are Christians, if we say we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we say we place our faith in Jesus, there will be actions or fruit in our lives. There will be the Holy Spirit living within us. If the Holy Spirit lives within us, our lives will change. There will be repentance of sin. And that is through the Holy Spirit. We learned last week that repentance and faith are necessary together for a true conversion. Difficult subject. But we also know that true and lasting repentance can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. So you've got to look at the whole picture in that. Because it's true we say, I repent and I turn to you and I place my faith in you. But if there is true repentance in one's life, that can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. So if God's Holy Spirit is living in you, that, that is what gives you the power. The power to defeat sin in your lives. And if we are truly believers, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, this will take place. So John just blessed us with that message. And, you know, the week before I preached, I've been preaching to Matthew, for those of you that were here. And the, Jesus and the disciples are heading towards Jerusalem. So we're going to pick back up where I left off a few weeks ago. Now Jesus, as he's getting ready to attend the Passover festival, as he's getting ready to face his last week in Jerusalem, I believe his teachings are becoming a little more forthright. Or he's, as he's sharing with the disciples, he's really sharing with them what is going to be expected of them as followers of Jesus when he's gone. Though they didn't understand all that at this point. But, I think as, as Jesus teaches us in this times, as we look at these scriptures, as we go through this, it's also, it's not just towards the disciples. It's through all of us, because we all are disciples. We are all Christians. So all these teachings are not just towards the twelve apostles, but they relate to us. So, two weeks ago, quiz time. Who remembers a question that Peter asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, verse 27? Who remembers that question? Everybody remember? Peter asked Jesus, what do I get? Remember? This is what, we got to go back a little bit. we got to remember this. Peter's like, what do I get for serving? You got it done. Good. Three years later, Peter's like, what have, what's all of this been for? So I started raising some questions, right? And then you saw Jesus respond back in Matthew 19, verse 30, right? With that first is last, kind of, you know, remember that? And then Jesus continued to teach them through a parable, to teach them the parable of the vineyard workers. And we saw the workers. And we learned that God will reward all. He will fulfill His promise. But this is not always done 
in the ways that we would expect. And we also learned two weeks ago that God will give grace to others. We see that. And it's kindness to them when we see that. It is not an injustice to us when another person is blessed. Sometimes that's hard to accept. Because you see others, you're like, that person doesn't deserve that. I deserve that. But God blesses him and gives him that mercy. You know, that's hard to walk through sometimes. So sometimes we learn, remember the title of the message, Life Isn't Fair. Sometimes we face difficult situations or we see different, or we see other outside difficult situations and we can cry out saying this, Life Isn't Fair. Remember the lesson though? Thank God life isn't fair. Thank God that we are rewarded on the principle of grace, not getting what we deserve or have earned. Now today, we're going to pick back up in this, this lesson. Jesus is nearing Jerusalem, nearing to attend the Passover celebration. Um, he's a week and a couple days from being placed on the cross. There's only, we only have three more lessons to go through before Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. I'd imagine if you had three things you could teach someone before you knew you were leaving, imagine the importance of that. So only three more lessons. So this is the setting for today's text. That Jesus and the disciples are near Jericho. But as Jesus and the disciples are heading down They're heading towards Jerusalem. They're near Jericho. Remember, it wasn't just Jesus and the disciples. The Passover was going to take place. So you know how many people traveled to go to the Passover? Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. When we read this, we see, oh, Jesus is traveling. He's talking to the disciples. This was, he was not alone. There's thousands of people. The disciples probably would have had their friends, their families with them. There would have been tons of other people traveling. This wasn't just a small group of people. Everyone was heading for the Passover. So remember that. A huge caravan. Now today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 52. So let's dig in verse 35. Then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What do you think? Teacher, can you do me a favor? This is talking to Jesus. But before we really get into this text, I want to turn to Matthew 20, 20. And The reason is, is Mark leaves a little part of this out that I think is important. So let's go just back a little bit. Matthew 20, 20. Matthew 20, 20. Let me find it myself here. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. So you see what's going on here? This wasn't just James and John. Their mother was there too. And so, now Mark doesn't mention that, but if you go to, you know, if you see there in Matthew, you can see that this was actually, there was more people in this story. Now, we all have moms. That's one thing I can say very clearly. Statement. We all have moms, right? We know how moms are, right? And possibly even more for their sons. I hate to say that, but I don't know. 
Uh, moms love their sons, right? They're always our baby boys, right? Always want to take care of their sons, right? Now, the love, the mother's love for a son, they're going to do whatever they can to try to take care of that son. And that's pretty normal. Now, I can imagine this story taking place today. Maybe in today's context, you can imagine. Let's talk. Let's let's put my mom in this story. Imagine my mom coming up to my boss, right? Do you see this happening? I could. I bet you this has actually happened to a few people. Coming up to your boss and telling your boss how amazing you are. My son, he's the hardest worker. He's the best. He's the most loyal. Oh, you know. This will be the best guy. If you promote him, he will serve you well. You imagine your mom coming up to your boss and doing this? This could probably happen. Now, I think it would be a little uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but I find this a little bit uncomfortable. Be like, Mom, I got this. So oh, I'm just trying to take care of you, son. I don't know, it'd be a little strange going to my mom, but I could see a mother doing this. Kind of trying to help her help out a little bit help her son out but I don't know it could happen I don't necessarily think it's a good idea mothers to do that but you never know now if you look at this story and just go back to the story two weeks ago you got to remember that promise that Jesus had made to the disciples remember that promise Jesus had made it was in Matthew 19:28 remember they would receive hundred times. They would receive blessings for the work they had done for Jesus. They said, he said he would receive a throne, right? Even? So they all had heard this. They would heard that there was a reward for them serving Jesus. They received thrones. I'm sure everyone had heard this. And you imagine the talk after this, right? Imagine the disciples talking. I wonder what my throne is going to look like. Will I have my name on it? How big will it be? Where will it be located? What will it oversee? I, I'm sure there was a big talk about these thrones and what they were going to get for doing this. Because we know they were thinking in this earthly context, especially. They weren't even thinking spiritually. They were speaking earthly. So I'm sure the disciples, it was a big talk. I'm like, wow, I wonder if it's going to have rubies around it, how big it's going to be. I mean, how high up on the, you know, in the temple it's going to be. I'm sure there was a lot of talk. And I'm sure the family were pretty excited about that, especially this mom. It's like, wow, you know, my boys are going to have this, these thrones. They're going to have a special place serving the Messiah. Um, wow. But then his mom comes up and says she has a favor to ask. Favor from Jesus. Now, I don't think it was just the mom. I think it was all three of them. Uh, you know, this wasn't just something the mom had came up with. This was a family decision, I'm sure, as we can read on in the OC. Now, maybe they had been so bold to come to Jesus now with this question, maybe because of Peter, right? Maybe Peter started this conversation by asking, right, before, what can I get out of this? And like, they got bold after hearing this. They're like, well, Peter asked that. What can I get from Bobby? Maybe James and John's and the mother's like, well, maybe we should be so bold to go to Jesus and say, maybe we can get a favor. I'm sure that they believed something big was getting ready to happen. They knew they were just getting near to Passover. They were expecting in the next few days and hoping that Jesus would claim his throne or claim to be the Messiah and take his place. 
And I'm sure as they were literally days away from entering Jerusalem, they were really had faith and hope that this was going to take place. So because it was only days away and they were hoping for this, this is raising their questions. What am I going to get when Jesus takes his place as the Messiah? Where is my standing in this? What am I going to get out of this? And so now the families are talking. You know, I haven't wasted three years. It's time to get paid back. So I think this was, unfortunately, kind of their heart a little bit. Now this example that we see from Peter and now James, John and their mother, it shows us also we can come to Jesus with some crazy questions, can't we? I mean, Jesus knew everything. He knew what these questions in their hearts really were. He knew that they completely didn't understand that Jesus was speaking spiritually and they were thinking physically. But you can still come. When we have these crazy thoughts and crazy ideas, you know what? We can still take them to Jesus. We can still come before Jesus and say things like this. What do I get? Can I get a favor? Nothing here says that was wrong. Jesus may answer you, and you may not like the answer or whatever, but you know what? We can take these things to Jesus, even when it sounds a little crazy like this. Let's look at verse 36. Let's see what's going to happen here. Jesus, what is your request? He asked. Again, I think it's okay to follow this example. Lord, I want to ask you a favor. Lord, I need this. Even if your question seems dumb. Or, maybe you're a little scared. Like, oh, I can't ask Jesus that. Maybe it seems unreasonable. Maybe you even know that your motives for what you're asking is not right. Is it okay still to ask? I think you should talk to Jesus still. You should pray about it. He will hear you, and He will answer you. So let's see what Jesus, what's going to happen here. Look at verse 37. They replied, When you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in the places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on the left. Wow. This family is really looking out for number one, aren't they? You know, if you look back into Matthew, we won't turn back, but you can actually see it was the mom that actually presented the question to Jesus. I hope to have one son over here, the other one over here. I think the only motivation you can see right now for them following Jesus, unfortunately, would seem like an opportunity for them. For them to promote themselves or to help themselves into a better position in life. Um, I don't think it's all that way, necessarily. But right now, I think that's what's on their hearts and their minds in this situation. I'm sure you think about this, you know. I'm sure James and John, I'm sure they even argued between themselves, right, before they came. You know what the argument probably was? Who's going to be the left and who's going to be on the right? I'm sure that was, I, you know, I'm sure they was arguing. I, then I thought, does this happen today in church? Does that happen in our society today? Do we strive for positions of authority? Do we... Do works that would seem selfish acts, but really doing it to better our own positions in life? Well, I just asked you, but that's not the real question, isn't it, for me? The real question for me is, what is my motivation, personally, for the things I do in ministry in my life? Because as I'm sitting there preaching this, i got to ask myself. So, maybe all of us should just take a minute and think about this. We're like, oh, we'd never do this like these guys. Well, I think I'm guilty. Um, what... What motivates us in life? 
When we do things, what's our motivation behind it? Why do we do it? Why do we do ministry? Why do we lead worship? Why do we preach? Why do we volunteer to mop the floor? What's our motivation behind it? Is it self-promotion? Is it self-preservation? Maybe it's something else. What should motivate us all in life? What should be our motivation for everything we do? Think about this question as we go through this sermon. As we continue, keep asking yourself, what motivates me to do the things I do? If you don't know what you're asking, stop, that's right, we'll stop right there. I think he looked at him, and he's going to respond. I would have expected Jesus maybe to rebuke them. I don't know, what would you think? If, if, if I had asked Jesus, after following him for three years in ministry, what is my reward? Do, where, what throne will I get? Can I sit, you know, what do you think? I, I kind of thought, and I thought about it, I, I thought maybe Jesus would even rebuke them. I wasn't sure. But if you look at this, the response, it says, you don't even know what you're asking. So Jesus' response almost seems to be a little bit out of compassion. Maybe due to their own ignorance of what they're saying. Because they don't understand what they're actually asking for. Now, what as you look at this, let's get back into that scripture. It says, are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? What is that? Catch back up here. What is this bitter cup of suffering? Jesus mentions it in other places. We can turn to John 18, verse 11. But Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink from this cup of suffering the Father has given me? Let's look at one more. Another example of this. Let's go to Psalm 75, 8. Psalm 75, verse 8. For the Lord holds a cup in his hand that is full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours out the wine in judgment, and all the wicked must drink it, draining it to the dredges. This cup that Jesus is talking about, this, this cup was actually, it's God's wrath. It's God's wrath that would be poured out upon him for our sins. This cup is what's poured out for our sins in place for our own sins. It's us. It's us that's caused to this. And what about that second part? Baptizing. What is it, how does it say? Baptism of suffering. I must be baptized with. Jesus mentions it also. We're going to look, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures here. Turn to Luke. It's mentioned also in Luke 12, 50. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I am under heavy burden until it is accomplished. This baptism was going to be Jesus's it's his death on the cross. It's when the sins and the cost of us would pour over him. Everything that we've done, they would surround him, our sins and the penalty for our sins would surround him. And he would pay that price, taking our sins upon him for what we had done. And this is what he's talking about, this baptism. So he would take upon him what we had 
we had deserved. Now, who would ask for this kind of treatment? Why would anyone ask for this? To take upon everyone else's sins upon them. Who would, who would do this freely? I mean, you think about, as Jesus is asking the, James and John about this, why would they ever consider doing this? Let's look at verse 39. Oh yes, they replied, we are able. So, it's apparent as you look at that, that they didn't understand what Jesus was asking of them. They didn't understand what he meant when he said this bitter cup of suffering or this baptism. They didn't understand. So, let's continue in verse 39. Then Jesus told them, You will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. Verse 40. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Look at that. What did Jesus know that would cause him to say that? Jesus knew something, didn't he? Let's turn to Acts. Let's see what he knew. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Into. About that time, King Harold Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had Apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. James was the first of the apostles to be beheaded. So it di- he did, Jesus knew, when they're asking this, he knew what was going to happen to him. Now we know John later, we know that there's... It's not in the Bible, it's in other points. He was, they say he was dumped into a barrel of boiling oil, trying to kill him. And he survived. But then, only to survive, he spent his entire life in prison. We could turn to Revelation 1.9 and see that. So these two, as they're calling for this, we know that they actually did suffer immensely for Christ. But these two idea right now have no idea what Jesus is trying to explain to him. And what they're asking, or what Jesus is asking them. I think when they answered this, if you see this in there, they say, oh yes, we are able. They answered with excitement. Oh yes, we're able. Now, we know Jesus understood, but obviously the disciples didn't. They didn't understand what was in store for them. Now I'm embarrassed I'll say that my own attitude has been that at times also. I think about it when I was just preparing to come here to the mission field. I had that same kind of attitude. Oh, yes. I can come to Myanmar. No problem. I am able. I was just like these guys. I'll drink of that cup. No problem, right? You know, before you go out in any mission field or anything, you're told told to count the costs, right? You're supposed to look at it. You're supposed to see what you'll face to understand what you could lose, what it could cost you. I tell you, I was so excited. I was like, these guys, like, ah, I got this, no problem. I had the wrong idea what serving Jesus would be like. I don't think it's necessarily just in Myanmar, but I had the wrong idea what it would be like. I was like, these guys. I'm like, yeah, let's go. We're going to do great things for God. I had no comprehension, none, what it would be like to experience spiritual warfare in a country where there's such a stronghold. I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea what that looked like. I'm like, let's go. I was so excited. Now, 
I looked back and I did not have an idea. But maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Because if I had known what I know now, I don't know. I can't answer that question. So maybe that's a good thing. But knowing what I know now, I'm paying for more workers. I struggle with that sometimes. Because I know what it takes to serve God here in this country. And I know the hardships your family will endure. I know the difficulties of it. And then we're like, pray for more workers. And then I, I see people come to me and are and serve. I almost feel guilty when I tell them that. Think about that. So it's interesting as I read that. That's what I thought about. I'm like, I know the cost here now. I understand that. And I'm like, oh, please come here and serve alongside us. I'm like, ah, it makes my skin crawl a little bit. Because I know what they're in for. It's kind of strange. But let's, let's continue. We're back on track now. Sorry about that. 41. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant, is a word that's used there. Let's just say they're upset. I mean, wouldn't, what about them? They're probably pretty upset. I mean, these guys are asking for the left and right position, the two most prominent positions. Uh, they're trying to get the best the best seat, the best throne. Um, I think, I don't know, I, I guess I could be guilty of this too. If I, if I had seen that happen, I'd probably be a little unhappy also. Kind of wondering, maybe upset they beat me to ask them first. Like, oh, I, I was going to ask them, and I, I hesitated, and it was his, his probably, I bet you, Jay, I bet you they didn't really want to ask. That's why the mom came into the picture. She's like, no, you got to go now before someone else does it. I don't know, but it's, it's possible. So let's see what Jesus is going to do about these disciples. Because now they're fighting, right? They're definitely fighting. Let's look at 42 all the way through 45. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord over their people, and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's a lot, isn't it? Now, this isn't the first time that we've seen this lesson or this principle taught, is it? Um, we, we're not going to turn there right now, but you know, Mark chapter 9, verse 33, you can turn there if you want, you can mark it, that's another time he's taught it, he's taught it in other places. Jesus is trying to teach this style of leadership, a servant leadership. And he's very clear here, and very clear out through other scriptures, that we are not to look to the world for instruction as how to lead as leaders. We're not, as Christians, we're not to look to the world. We are to be servant leaders. Now, this is a lesson right now. Obviously, the disciples are struggling learning. They don't understand it. And, you know, for all of us, I think there's many lessons that we still struggle to learn. And this is one of them. I mean, I still have to make sure and apply this principle to my life every week. And remember, this is how we are to lead. This is how we are to serve, as servant leadership. Jesus has set this perfect example. I'm going to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Because Jesus just gives us this perfect example right here. Philippians 2, 5. 
you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position as a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names. Jesus sets this example for us. And leadership among God's people should be characterized by serving the people. By always acting in the people's best interests. That's how we should lead as Christians. The lesson is clear that if you want to be great, I think a lot of us desire that. I'm not thinking that's all necessarily wrong. But it needs to come through serving others. To be a servant. Now look at the example we see. Let's turn back there. Turn back to Mark. Jesus gives a little, a big, a huge example. Not a little. The last part of that, verse 45. Let's just look at all 45 again. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Ransom. What is that? I don't look it up a lot in the Greek, but I looked this one up. So I think this is this is huge. This Lytron is how you say it in Greek. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. But this word comes from loose. It means to release or to ransom. In other writings, you can look, it refers to a paid price for freedom of a prisoner of war, or a paid price for a slave, or paying the price for a debt owed. In the scriptures, the word is used as an image showing what Christ did for us. He paid a ransom, or a price, or a penalty for our sin on our behalf. Now, I want to turn to 1 Peter and look how it's explained here. 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, 18. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as a ransom long before the world had begun. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Jesus is standing in your place, paying the price of your sins with his life. So each one of us may have life. That's a ransom. And the cost, don't ever forget that, was his life. Let's turn back to Mark 10. Let's look at verses 46 and 47. Now, they have reached Jericho as Jesus and the disciples left town. A large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Barmathius, son of Timotheus, was sitting beside the road. When Barmathius, Barmathius, sorry, I said it wrong, heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now remember, we talked about it earlier. Remember this crowd? Very, very big crowd. There had been, I mean, thousands of people heading in to celebrate Passover. 
But remember in this crowd, there was an undertone. I'm sure there was a lot of discussion. There's a lot of discussion about Jesus going on. I mean, they knew, everyone had heard about Jesus. Everyone knew what was going on. They'd seen the miracles. They'd seen him teach. They were, they were hopeful. They were excited that Jesus was going to arrive in Jerusalem and claim his place as Messiah. So all these crowds, I'm sure there was great talk about this as they were traveling. And they were excited. Maybe this was the time. This is Passover. This would be the time that they could be free from their bondage from the Romans. Now, during all this is happening, as they're walking, there's a blind man. And through all this commotion and people talking and traveling, he's heard as the people are coming that Jesus is back there. He's coming. I mean, you can see this just taking place. And as he's hearing this, I'm sure this man obviously has heard about this Jesus fellow before. He's, he's heard the story. He heard of a story how Jesus spit on mud and mixed it and put it in a blind man's eyes and healed the man. And he's a blind man. And he's hearing Jesus is coming. He's walking. Now, obviously, if you had this same problem, if you had any problem, and you heard these stories and you had faith, you would also be calling out on Jesus. I mean, what would you do in this situation? What effort would you put forth how bold would you be to get a hold of Jesus in this situation? Look at 48 and 50. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on. Come on, he's calling you. Mark. Barmathus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Now the people, he's yelling. He's getting louder and louder. He's trying anything he can do to get Jesus' attention. And the people, as they're walking by, they're like, shut up. Be quiet. I don't want to hear from you. But his response just got louder and louder. Jesus, calling out to Jesus. This man was not going to give up, crying out for the Lord, and he was going to do whatever he could do to get a hold of Jesus. Because he had faith that it was Jesus that could heal him. And then you see in this picture, it was Jesus, he responds to the man's faith. He hears him. Look at 51 and 52. Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantaneously, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Think about that question that was answered there. You see the question that was in there? What do you want me to do for you? Now, it's obviously this blind man has real and passionate faith. I mean, he's yelling, he's screaming, he's going he's to do whatever it took. And when Jesus asked him, he heard him, he heard his cries, and he says... What do you want me to do for you? The blind man very quickly knew exactly why he was crying out to Jesus. He knew exactly what he was hoping for. And it was then, if you continue to look at that, it says that after he's healed, he followed Jesus. If you look at the other, I can't remember which one it is in. It says he praised him. He became a follower of Jesus. As we look at this story, we really kind of looked at two different stories today. There's two examples or two lessons that we can see. We can first see how to be a follower of Jesus. How do we have a servant's heart? We're to have a servant's heart, but we're also not 
Just like here, we're to know that as we're to serve God's people, it can cost us everything. Jesus was clear. Are you willing to partake? Then we see immediately with the next story a man with bold faith. Very bold faith. Real ministry, this is for all of us, not just pastors, anyone. We're all called to share the gospel. So real ministry is done for the people that we are ministering to. Ministry should never ever be done for what we can get out of it. Let's take it a step further, just think of this principle. It doesn't just apply to ministry, but just everything in our lives. I asked you that question earlier. Why do we do the things that we do? What is the motivation for everything you do in your life? What motivates you? I'm not saying everything's wrong. I'm not going to say that. But when it comes down to it, our motivation should be to serve others. Let's close and look at... So the worship team wants to head up. I'm going to look at one more passage in Luke. And we will close. Luke 22-25. Jesus told them, In this world, the kings and the great men lord over their people. Yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are in the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like the servant. Who is more important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as the one that serves. Heavenly Fathers, we just see that we are to be servants, Lord, to others. Lord, if we have ever had any position of leadership, if it's from raising our children to inside the church, to our jobs, to anywhere in life, Lord, and anything we do, Lord, just to remember that you have set the perfect example for each one of us, Lord, that you've given us that example that we are to serve others, Lord. Lord, I just thank you as we see that blind man's faith, that bold faith just to cry out to you. When others said, be quiet, quit yelling, he still continued to cry out to you, Lord. And you responded to him and answered him, Lord, and he was healed. So, Lord, as we look at these different examples, Lord, we just praise you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, and we just pray, Lord, that we would go out, Lord, and we would lead through your example here, Lord. That we would... Lead others to you through our leadership. If it's working in schools as teachers, or if it's uh, missionaries, if it's a pastor, whatever it is, Lord, let us follow your example, Lord. Let us not lead like the rest of the world does. Let us be set apart from this world, Lord. Let us not. People see something different when they associate with us. When they have business dealings with us, Lord, let them know, let them see us as your children. I thank you, Lord. I praise your name, Lord, and just watch over us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.